Yes, I'm feeling that one, girls. And guys, sorry. Yes. Just got to have a little bit more energy next time, okay? A little bit more. Well, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for being in this space today. Thank you that we could be your children, that we can just come before you with our hearts open. Thank you that you have given us uh, your love and the Bible, that we can just come and just run in your arms, Lord. Thank you for loving us so deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I believe in second chances, and I love the stories that surround them. Uh, Walt Disney, he created a little place called Disney World. I don't know if any of you know about it. Uh, but he was fired from his first job because he wasn't creative enough. Thomas Edison, one of America's greatest inventors, who created the light bulb, and we can all be thankful for that, uh, his teachers called him stupid and unteachable to his face. I'm pretty sure that those teachers and that employer were wishing they had a second chance. One of my favorite stories is of Elizabeth Henson. She was a mom. It was a Saturday. She just wanted to clean the house, get everything out of the closets, uh, clear out the clutter, donate what she could. She made all these piles around her bedroom, and on top of one of the piles was this coat, and it was kind of stained, kind of stunk, had some stains on it, and um, yeah, it just never quite fit right. So she put that on top of one of the piles, and her young son came in, and he said, Mom can I have this coat? She said, honey, what are you going to want with that? It's kind of stained. It kind of smells a little bit. You know, it just never quite fit right. Well, after some prodding, Elizabeth eventually gave in to her son, and he took that coat back to his bedroom workshop. He took out all the seams, and he started creating this new shape. And then he took a ping pong ball. He cut it in half, and he made two eyes. You see, that day, Elizabeth Henson's son, Jim, gave that green coat a new life as the friendly reptile we love today. Even with an old stained coat, Jim Henson saw a second chance. For the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at different encounters Jesus had with people that completely altered their life's direction. So today we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a woman caught up in adultery. You see how Greg and Darren chose to give this message to me? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll take on the challenge. Our story starts as Jesus was in Jerusalem, and his teachings and his willingness to reach people who were nothing like him was unheard of. But with popularity comes opposition which in his case was a group of men called the Pharisees. These guys were religious scholars, and they were dead set on following the Old Testament law. They literally could not handle that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, but hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The Pharisees believed themselves to be righteous because they didn't want to touch any of those sinners. So their agenda was to now prove him wrong and land them him in jail. Today we're in John chapter 8, where it says this. 
Jesus was soon back in the temple. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and the Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Old Testament law gives us orders to stone such persons. What do you say, Jesus? Okay, stoning. Sounds a little intense, right? Unfortunately, that was the way of capital punishment in that time. The Old Testament law said in Leviticus 20.10, both the man and the woman, the adulterer and the adulteress, must be put to death. All reading about the adulteress brought into the temple that day, it's easy to pass over that the Pharisees only brought the woman to Jesus, not like the Old Testament law requests. These laws were a strict covenant given to Moses by God. And when one of these laws were broken, this covenant was broken and so was their relationship with God. For the Pharisees, this law was their way of life and how they held their authority. So to now have Jesus claim to be the Messiah, it kind of meant that his authority outweighed theirs. And so as we go back to the temple, Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. So without getting all riled up by those trying to imprison him, he simply just knelt down and continued to write. It's usually my response when people are verbally attacking me. I don't know about you. You know, he could have done anything, but he just chose to be quiet and write. I'd love to know what he was writing that day on the ground. I'm pretty sure I can scratch off tic-tac-toe. I'm confident on that one. I'd like to think that he was writing each one of the Pharisees' names and listing off each and every one of their sins. He knew everything in their hearts because he is God. But after the crowd grew hasty and relentless, he stood up and said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You know, a friend of mine, he met this girl at his work. They started a relationship, and uh, they eventually got engaged and started planning their wedding and the rest of their lives together. And days before the wedding, there were some concerns and uncertainties that came up about her, but, you know, he just kind of pushed those to the side. He thought trust was already in place. So the wedding day came and went, and then... um, those uncertainties and questions and her late nights out, they started stacking up against her. And so, within one month, one month after their wedding day, she told him that their marriage was over and she had found somebody else. By the time their ink dried on their divorce papers a couple months later, she was already off to her prenatal appointment with the other guy. Talk about a slap in the face. I can't imagine the hurt and the pain that my friend experienced during that part of his life. But I've witnessed what the aftermath of adultery does to somebody, their self-confidence, their emotions. 
and even their extended family. Because that friend of mine, he got through those dark days, and he just wanted a second chance. Because I became friends with him, and I'm proud to call him my husband. He's my man. He's my boo, all right? I know Eric would not be the husband or the father that he is without that chapter of his life. He just wouldn't. And because I really didn't know him during that part of his life, it's easy to forget that part of his story. So when I'm reminded of it, I kind of do want to take a stone and throw it at her. Maybe two. Okay. And I could just imagine myself in that crowd that day, Standing within the temple walls, I pick up this stone and I feel the cold, dead weight of it. And just as I'm about to throw it, I can hear Jesus say, Danielle, your sin is just as equal to hers. And so that rock or two just falls to the ground. And so if we go back to John chapter 8, on that day in the temple. That's exactly what happened. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does nobody condemn you? And Jesus, no one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin And there it is, Jesus allowing forgiveness, the absolute lowest part of her life, to be their encounter, allowing her to wake up and see a second chance through him. Many of us have grown up and been told to do good, don't do this or don't do that, and our idea of sin has become this sliding scale of how bad something is. No one is perfect or has a better score than us. But the other week, I was watching TV, and I saw this program, and I thought, this is exactly how people think one makes it into heaven. Uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth... Every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value, depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares, no one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! (laughs) Anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. (laughs) I like that they put um, using Facebook as a verb. Don't do it. You can use Google, but not Facebook, okay? As funny as that clip is, 
trying to crunch your good and bad numbers is not how it works. Using flippant words to hurt somebody's feelings, lying about where you really were, yelling at your coworkers, your spouse, or your kids, and blaming others for your mistakes, it is all equal to murder, adultery, addiction. Sin is sin in God's eyes. There is no hierarchy. He sees each one of us in the midst of that temple crowd, lying on the ground, shaking on the floor, full of humiliation and shame. If we think about our day-to-day, he gives us second chances every moment. I guess the two things that we need to know in order to move forward to a second chance is our perspective on ourselves and others. When it comes to others in our lives who have not directly hurt us, like those in a Dateline news program, it can be a lot easier to forgive them and give them a second chance. But when that person is within your circle, that hurt can run a lot deeper. This isn't in the Bible story that we just went through, but I'd like to imagine the adulteress's husband in the crowd that day as well. The pain in his eyes as he stands against the shadows of the temple walls, as he watches his wife in the center of this angry mob. Was he surprised, shocked, angry, or everything in between? He saw Jesus forgive her, but when she made her way home that day, did he choose to embrace her with a second chance? Or did he leave her things on the doorstep? Is there somebody in your life today that you should be giving a second chance to? Many people could think of someone or two. But have you ever thought of yourself? It can be easier sometimes to dwell on our own mistakes. And it makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. It's in the book of Luke. And there was this father that had two sons, and the older one, you could say, was more responsible, the one you could always count on, probably like me growing up, right? No? Okay. The younger one uh, was very reckless and selfish, and in Luke chapter 15, it says this. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I'm going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. Now, you don't have to guess too hard what happened. The younger son did not invest in a Roth IRA, but he completely blew his inheritance and ended up homeless and starving. After having some time to replay all of these mistakes in his head, and with a heart that was willing to realize what he had done wrong, he said this, What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and return to my father and say, Father, I have done wrong, wrong against God and against you. I forfeited any right to be treated like your son. But I'm wondering if you treat me as one of your hired servants. So he got up and he returned to his father. In the prodigal son mind, there was no way back into his father's love. But as he saw his father in the distance that day, his dad gathered up all of his garments and ran to him with such joy and excitement 
embracing him with a deep, deep love. There are plenty of times in our lives that we feel like running in the other direction. But when we have that feeling, know that God is coming towards you with outstretched arms, and he desperately wants you to run back into them. I'm sure the prodigal son, the adulterous woman, and hundreds of other people in the Bible felt the same shame of their past as we do today. The devil, he's going to try to use it against you. He's going to try to wreak havoc into your life until all you can focus on is his little lies. You know, when it is nice outside, I love to open up the windows, open up the screen door, and let the breeze come in. So this summer, I did so, just like any other day, and I pride myself on having a very distinctive sense of smell. And my dad's laughing because he has the same. It's a genetic, okay? And so all of a sudden, this stench just started wafting through the house. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is that a dead animal rotting garbage? And so I went outside and my nose led me to this. (sighs) This is the mutinous elegance. It is a distinctive mushroom and also my mortal enemy. Okay. Also conveniently nicknamed by horticulturists as the devil's lipstick. As you can see, it is a red protruding tube with, uh, topped with green slime, and it produces this nauseating stench. It doesn't last for very long. It kind of shrivels up, and it's gone within a day. But just when I think I finally got it, and I think that the devil's lipstick has finally retreated, I open my front door, and bam, there it is again. Isn't that just like Satan? Just popping up whenever he feels like it, bringing his stench into our lives? Yes, we can stop our sin, work on our patience, love more, but the biggest hurdle we face as we choose to get our second chance is ourself. That shame, regret, and pain rears its ugly head again, and it's easy to give in. So can you see how important it is to have grace with others? We so desperately want it for ourselves. We cannot do this life of second chances on our own. That's why at Westridge we have community groups and a community care ministry, so you can find that support system to walk alongside you. Life is so much easier when we stop the automatic answer of, I'm fine. Good. I'm good. It can be scary to tell people how we really are, how we're really feeling. But I've never felt such a connection with somebody. And they say, you know what? I just can't do this. I don't know if I can do this on my own. I'm like, thank you. I feel exactly the same way. It's this daily giving him your life, your concerns, your hot messes, your dreams, your worries, everything to him daily. I think that's why God, he gave us the Holy Spirit because he knew we needed somebody to help us take on that daily struggle so we can grow and we can wake up and become a people of second chance. I think everybody wants somebody to fight for us. His time on the cross is proof of that to us. He decided to take all of that sin on his shoulders, our sin, 
for us. That was not wasted on you or me. Know that God, he's bigger than light bulbs, Disney World, and Kermit the Frog. If there's anybody that can embrace sin, it's him. He knows our hearts, yet he still chooses to give us second chances for the taking. So my question to you is, are there any takers here today?